All right, let's uh, continue on in the book of Mark. And to uh, uh, jump into our message today, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a teacher or maybe a parent or perhaps a boss who has delegated a task to you? How many of you have ever been delegated a task? Pretty much every hand should go up unless you're like under two years of age. All right, all of us, all right, your, your mom and dad, your boss, a teacher, they've all given you a task. Unfortunately, some of these people, when they delegate the task to you, they don't do a very good job. The, uh, have you ever had someone delegate a task to you, but then they like micromanage you through the entire task? I remember uh, when I was the worship director at a church plant out in uh, Colorado, I was doing some web design and graphic design on, on the side just to try and earn a little bit of extra money, make ends meet. Uh, those were some really lean years financially. And so I got hired by this church plant to develop a logo for them. All right, I'm not a very good designer for logos, all right, but I, I took the job on because I wanted to make a little bit of money, and the guy had some ideas, and so I thought, I, I can do this. So I started putting together the logo, and I send stuff to him. Well, he, he wasn't exactly thrilled, and pretty soon, it, it was like this guy was virtually sitting over my shoulder saying, okay, now move this here. No, don't do that. Okay, now I need you to use this font, do this sort of thing, and by the end, it was the ugliest logo I think I'd ever seen. I, I did not want my name anywhere attached to this thing. The guy micromanaged me through the whole entire process, and I basically thought to myself, why did he even hire me? He knew exactly what he wanted. He could have just opened Word, done Word art, because that's about the quality level of this logo, and he could have just had it a lot cheaper than trying to hire me to do this for him. He micromanaged me through it. But some people, when they delegate a task to you, they don't micromanage you. <laughs> they actually go the opposite. They, they, like, are nowhere to be found. They'll say, hey, I need you to do this for me. Oh, okay, so you get the task, and then you've got a question. You, you hit a problem. So you go and you ask them, and they don't reply back to your email. They don't reply to your text. Like, they're nowhere to be found. And if you manage to, like, corner them, they just look at you and go, oh, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. They, they give you no support at all. That is also frustrating. But I would say probably equally frustrating to be micromanaged and, and to be an abandoned in the, the task is to be given a task and to not be given any resources to accomplish it. Imagine if I asked uh, my, my two boys to go wash the car. But as they head outside to go do it, I tell them, oh, hey, by the way, um, you're not going to be allowed to use the water uh, out of the hose. Oh, yeah, I, I'm not going to let you use a bucket. You, you can't use any soap, no sponge. Oh, and I'm not even going to let you go down to the car wash and just have the car wash do it. But I still expect my car to be spotless when it's all said and done. I mean, they'd be frustrated. I'm giving them no resources to accomplish the task, and yet I'm still demanding that they get it done. Now, I bring this up because today we're going to see Jesus delegate a task to his disciples, and it's going to sound like he's not going to give them any resources to get it done. It's going to cause some of you to go, what in the world is Jesus doing? But what we're going to discover today is Jesus, actually by not giving them the resources that they think they need, opens it up for them to see that they already have everything that they need. And this is important for us to get today, because if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to see today that the task that Jesus gave to his 12 disciples is a very similar task to what he gives to you. So if you brought a Bible, open it up to Mark 
chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 6 through 13 today. Uh, If you are a first-time guest with us and you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to have the scripture up on the screens, but I'm just going to encourage you, next time you come to Riverwood, bring your Bible with you, because we open this thing up every single Sunday that we are together. Now, we don't mind if it's a digital copy of the Bible or a paper copy. We just want you to have a Bible. So if you don't have one right now, take the time to go and download one to your phone, or if you want to go old school like me and have a paper copy, just send us your, uh, your mailing address. We will send you a paper copy. We've got some high-quality Bibles that should last you for years, and you can make that your everyday Bible. Because we, we really believe that if you get into the habit and practice of bringing it here on Sundays and opening it up with us, that actually makes it a little easier to open it on Monday and on Tuesday and on every day. Because we want you to become students of the Scriptures. Because we believe the Bible shows us Jesus And what this world needs is people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And so we invite you, bring your Bible next time you're with us. All right, so we're going to jump here into Mark chapter 6 as we do. Let me pray for God to open our hearts and our minds. So God, uh, you wrote the words that we are about to read today a long, long time ago. And these words will be here far after many of us have passed away. And so, Lord, as we come to it, many of us come with a our own background, our own baggage, things from our past, things that we're wrestling with right now. We've, we've got our own biases. And I just ask right now, God, that you would crash through all of that so that we could hear from you. You would teach us your truth and you'd begin to change us and do in us what you need to do. Because I believe, God, you have an important mission for us and we need to hear it. And so, Lord, would you just work beyond our biases? Would you uh, work beyond our pasts? Would you work beyond our current struggles? so that we can hear what you have to say, because God, you love us passionately, and there's a world out there that you love passionately. And I believe you want to use us to help the world know that love. And so help us to hear from you right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark 6, 7 through 13. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Today we are going to see eight details tied up within a task that Jesus has delegated. And and we need to look at these eight details because as I just alluded to and said, I, I believe that the task we see the disciples receive is a very similar task to what we have received But before we can get to those eight details, we do need to at least pause for a second and ask ourselves, what is this task that Jesus gave them? The task was to be sent. They were being sent by Jesus to go to these Jewish realms, and we see they were supposed to go and, and heal people, to cast out demons, but ultimately to tell people that the kingdom of God is here, and they are to repent of their sins and come into the kingdom. So let's look at these eight details that surround this task. All right, the, the first one, the, the disciples were sent by Jesus. The disciples were sent by Jesus. This one is quite obvious. It's, it's right there in the very beginning. And he, 
the he is Jesus, and he called the 12, all right? So Jesus is the one giving this task to them. Why am I taking the time to point out this very obvious fact? Well, if you think back to uh, the book of Mark, chapter 1, if you were with us back in March, we saw Jesus begin to speak and teach. The very first words that we heard um, Mark uh, let us hear from Jesus were in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was Jesus' message. And everywhere he went, this is what he was preaching. Well, as we saw that sermon back in March, we asked ourselves, well, if he's preaching about this kingdom of God, who is this king of the kingdom? And we saw it's Jesus. Which means the task being delegated to these 12 disciples isn't just coming from some really nice guy that they really like and respect. It's not coming from someone who has given them some tricks on being really good, you know, public speakers. It's not even coming from someone who's like got a lot of power and has, has caused all these healings. No, this command, this task is being delegated by the king. The king is saying, I'm sending you like ambassadors. I have a message that I want people to know. I want them to know that the kingdom is here, that I'm inviting them into the kingdom. They need to repent and believe the gospel. So the, it's important for us to realize that this is King Jesus sending them. The disciples are being sent by Jesus. And that's important because of the second detail. Notice there in uh, verse 7, the, the third part, the, kind of the last part of verse 7. It says that Jesus gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. We, uh, we've seen Jesus do a lot of miracles, and we're not even halfway through the, the book of Mark. All right, we, we've already seen Jesus heal a man of a shriveled hand. He healed a paralyzed man, the guy who got lowered through the, the roof. We've seen him uh, kick a couple of demons out of some guys. We've even seen Jesus stop a storm and, and raise the dead. And in a lot of those, what we saw was Jesus was doing what only God could do. And so I think for most of us, we've just kind of racked it up like, well, of course Jesus could do that. I mean, he's, he's God. He's, he's the son of God. But now suddenly Jesus is saying, okay, guys, I'm now giving you authority to go and do what? Cast out demons, to heal, to preach. In other words, to go do what I do, to live like I live, to go and represent me. Now, they're not becoming the king, but they're going to represent the king. And for them to represent the king, they have to have the king's authority. In medieval times, when a king would pass a law, they would often put a wax down on the, the parchment, and then he would take his signet ring, and he'd roll it through the, racks to, the wax to like seal it and say, this is authorized now by the king. It was his way to, to sign it. Or, or if he had an important letter, they, they'd fold it up, put it in the envelope, put wax on it to seal it, and he'd put his ring there through it. But every once in a while, the king would be indisposed. Maybe he was not healthy, he was on his deathbed, or maybe he was off at war, but the kingdom needed to continue and move forth. And so the signet ring might be entrusted to a uh, high-ranking officer, to a, a really trusted servant or advisor, someone that they know, here's what the king would decree, and so the king would say, I give you authority to do these things in my name. Jesus, in a sense, is giving his disciples his signet ring. He's saying, I am God, I have authority, I give this to you, you go and do it. 
in my name, represent me. He's, he's doing this for them. He's giving them authority. But then I want you to notice the middle part of verse 7. Not only is he sending them and giving them authority, but notice how he sends them. It says that he is sending them out two by two. In other words, they're being sent, but not alone. I think there's two reasons that Jesus sends them out in pairs. Number one, their message would be far more believed. Think about it. If someone just showed up in your community and started saying something really crazy, you'd probably look at them going, okay. I have a feeling that happened the day after the election in 2016. So some people said, oh yeah, did you hear Trump won? I think a lot of people went, uh, no, there's no way he won. I mean, all the polls showed Hillary Clinton was leading. I mean, she, she won the popular vote. No, Clinton won, not Trump. But someone else comes along and says, no, Donald Trump won. It took that second person to verify it for someone to actually begin to believe it. In Jewish culture, this was very, very important. For someone to become a rabbi, you had to have two other rabbis put their hands on you and confer the authority to you. For your message to be heard, there had to be at least two witnesses to verify it. So by sending them out two by two, it made the message that they were coming to preach far more believable. It would actually begin to be received. But I think there's a second reason he sent them out two by two. The second reason is it'd be far more encouraging. I've been very open and honest about our journey in planting Riverwood and, and some of the difficult days that, that happened in, in the beginning. You know, I, I struggled sometimes emotionally. Uh, there were days I, I wanted to quit. And I'm so thankful that I did not plant Riverwood alone. That God in his wisdom and sovereignty sought 26, 27, 28 years ago to put Leanne Wojcikowski in my life. God has used her so much to help Riverwood become the church that it is. And, and there were days when I was down and she lifted me up. She was an encouragement to me. And there were days when she said, okay, I'm going to help with this. But she was overwhelmed. I mean, there were things that she said yes to doing that she had no experience in doing. And so she's having to learn from scratch how to do certain things. And it would, it would just overwhelm her at times. And I would hope that I was an encouragement to her to help her keep going in this. Whether, whether it's a, a project uh, or going on a journey, uh, you know, something in sports or, or just life, it's way easier to do it with someone else. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to go get married, but I think it does mean that everyone needs to at least have someone in their life to encourage them, to help them. We were not created to just go and do everything alone. We need others with us. And so that's why that announcement I made about growth groups is so important. We do not want to see any of you feeling like you're alone, like you're, you're not a part, that, that you're having to just go about things by yourself. Americans love just our rugged individualism. It's just part of our culture. It's part of our psyche. It's the way we approach things. But just because that's an American ideal, it doesn't mean it's a biblical ideal. God has intentionally put us in relationship with others. So get into a growth group so that there are people who can encourage you when you go through the difficult times to pray with you, to laugh with you, to celebrate with you. Life is way more fun when you can share it with some other people. And, and like I said, maybe Monday night, Tuesday, or Wednesday nights just won't work for you. At a minimum, reach out to someone and say, hey, can we catch coffee once a week? Can we just connect and then maybe do a right now media study together? Maybe read scripture together, pray for one another, encourage each other. Because Jesus sent them out intentionally two by two. 
So don't try to do this. If you're a Jesus follower, don't try to follow Jesus on your own. You need to be in connection, in community with others. All right. The uh, fourth detail is I, Jesus sent the disciples to trust. He sent them to trust. Notice verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey. All right? It says no bread, no bag, no money, like nothing. They're not even, down to verse 9, it says they're not even supposed to take two tunics. There's a little note in my Bible next to tunics, and it says that the Greek there is the chiton. It's a long garment worn under the cloak next to the skin. In other words, they weren't even supposed to take an extra pair of underwear. Right? They, they were supposed to take nothing. A staff, their cloak, and their sandals. Sounds like Jesus isn't giving them the resources that they need. Because I can guarantee you, when Jesus said this to them, these disciples probably internally freaked out. We, we've seen in other parts of the scriptures where the disciples were very concerned about the, the earthly things. There, there's a story in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and they're, they're, they're going across the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden Jesus speaks up and he says, uh, guys, I'm just going to warn you of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus is trying to say, you know, the Pharisees, they teach the law, but they don't practice the law. So he's warning them about their hypocrisy. Don't become like the Pharisees. Because if you begin to be a hypocrite, it just starts to seep into your life, kind of like yeast gets into dough. But that's not what the disciples thought. The disciples thought, oh no, Jesus is mad because we forgot the bread. Oh, oh man, we forgot the bread. What were we thinking? We need that bread. They're worried about it. And then Jesus just goes, uh, guys, do you not remember I, I just fed 5,000 people with nothing but a boy's lunch? Stop worrying about bread. There's more important things here. So, so these disciples, they're, they're like you and I, very worried about their earthly things. In fact, they were probably more worried. You and I, when, when we don't have food, we probably just go to the refrigerator or to the pantry and get something. Even those of us who might find ourselves on the lower economic scale here in America, we still probably can go to the store and buy ramen noodles. Like we could just, we can go and get food. Back in Jesus' day, there weren't grocery stores like that. They, like, they had to like, plan ahead. They had to take the time to make the bread. They had to catch the fish. They had to skin the fish. They had to build the fire. They had to do all the work to get it ready. They couldn't just take it out of the freezer, pop it in the microwave, and be eaten in a couple of minutes. They were worried about their earthly things. So what is Jesus doing? Why is he saying, yeah, don't take any food. Don't take any money. Don't even take extra underwear. When uh, I was at a, on staff at a church in Cedar Rapids, uh, when I, we first began to attend the church, uh, when I got hired, our, our kind of worship style would have been considered blended. Right? It, really, it was more like one week was very traditional in style. Another week was an attempt at contemporary music, not done very, very well. And basically, our church uh, just was scared of guitars. That, that's really what it came down to. And so our worship pastor, he wanted to help our church move more towards guitar-led worship. But our sound guys were scared. And so he would put a guitar up there, and you'd be sitting in the audience, and you couldn't hear the guitar unless you sat in the first three rows. Right? Because they wouldn't like mic it through the system. And our, our worship pastor was getting so frustrated, like, why won't they turn this up? So finally, he realized what he had to do. He did not allow anyone to play piano one Sunday. There was no other instruments on stage. He put four acoustic guitars with four microphones and basically said to the sound guys, you got to make it sound good. That's in a sense what Jesus is doing here. He's stripping everything else away to force these guys to realize we have everything we need. Because when they didn't have the bread, 
when they didn't have the money, when they didn't have even the extra clothes, it made them realize, I have to fully rely on God and provide God did. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be down to verse 30. And when we see in verse 30, the disciples have come back from the trip that Jesus is sending them out on right now. When they come back, they're going to celebrate what has taken place. Like they're excited. They're going to be like, Jesus, you won't believe what happened. Mark does not record a single complaint. We don't see anyone come back saying, Jesus, how, how could you do this to us? Like, Thomas and I were out in the wilderness. We had no food. Thomas fainted and died because of it. How could you do this? I thought you cared. No, none of that. Because God provided the entire way. Now, you do need to realize that the ancient Jews had a culture of hospitality. It was very common for someone to walk into a community, for someone to see this stranger and ask them, hey, do you have a place to stay tonight? You need, you need a bite to eat? They just learned how to take care of one another because there just weren't hotels kind of like we have and you just couldn't stop into the grocery store or swing through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And so they learned how to take care of one another. We don't do that in our day and age. Like if you see some kind of grubby looking guy, backpack on, walking through town, I doubt you're pulling up next to him saying, hey, you want to come stay at my house tonight? The only people who do that in our community usually have lights on the top of their cars. They're the police. By the way, you may not know this, but uh, every year at Christmas time, our, our local police, uh, they put out the red Salvation uh, Army buckets, and they use those funds to help take care of people who are coming through our community. If, if they get a report of someone in, in town, they actually will put them up in a hotel for a night. They'll provide them with a couple of meals. They do help take care of them, but then you know what they do? And they drive them to the bus station, and they basically say, don't come back unless you have a job. We're still not a culture of hospitality. But in Jesus' day, they, they took care of each other. And God used that to help these disciples realize, I don't have to have this money. I don't have to have this clothing. I don't even have to have food that God will provide all along the way. Jesus was sending them not just to teach a message, but also to learn to trust. He was building their faith. That's the fourth detail. The fifth detail that I want to point out is that Jesus sent them to bless here at Riverwood, we like to say that you are sent to be a blessing. Uh, if you've been a part of Riverwood before, you often hear Jake uh, when he's dismissing us. Go and follow Jesus. Go and be a blessing. Well, now you kind of see where we get that from. Because here in Mark, Jesus is saying, go, be a blessing. Uh, there's a comparable passage over in Matthew chapter 10 that Matthew actually shows us a little more detail. Uh, if you want, flip to Matthew 10. We're going to look at verses 5 through 15. But if you don't want to flip there, we're going to come back to Mark here in just a, a couple minutes. Matthew uh, 10, 5 through 15 says, These 12, referring to the 12 disciples, uh, Matthew just started off Ma uh, chapter 10 by uh, talking about the 12 disciples, says, So these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. 
as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the, uh, that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And we're going to get to the end portion of that here in a moment. But what I want you to see first is the call to bless. Back there uh, earlier, we see Jesus saying, all right, I want you to go and bless people with a message. The kingdom of God is at hand. All right, the, the Jews had for a couple thousand years had all these prophecies that a Messiah was coming. Now he's here. So, so this is good news. The Messiah has come. And to help verify this message, he says bless them by healing the sick, by raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. And you know what? I want you to do all these things without getting paid. <laughs> don't, don't collect any gold or silver or copper. You're not here to do this. Jesus came and it cost you nothing for, to get him. So likewise, now I send you, go and do this without, just, just your pay is food. Just let someone take you in. They'll provide you with a place to stay. They'll provide you with the food. That's enough. You are there to bless. But then we notice that even as they're being sent to bless, there will still be some people that will reject them. And that's our, our next detail, that the disciples were also sent and, and were rejected. They were sent and rejected. Last week, we saw Jesus go to his hometown of Nazareth. And while there, Jesus ended up being rejected by his former acquaintances and, and friends. Basically, they looked at him and were thinking, who do you think you are? Like you, you come in here acting like a prophet from God, and yet we know your mom and dad. We, we know your brothers, your, your sisters. We know your story. We know that you, you were, your mom became pregnant before your dad and mom were actually officially married. We, we know that you were born in sin. How dare you come in here claiming to be from God? And, and so they rejected him. I think Jesus took his disciples along with him because he wanted them to see that he, he was rejected. And he knew he was going to be sending them out. And so if their rabbi, their Messiah could be rejected they should expect nothing different. Now, last week, I confessed that I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. And it kind of drives me nuts when there are certain people that, that just, for whatever reason, just refuse to like me. I, in fact, uh, there is one individual who attended Riverwood for one Sunday. Uh, I think it was in about our second year of ministry. And on that day, he was all smiles, shook my hand. But since then, I, I've run into him a few times out in the community. And he refuses to even look at me. Like, I, I've tried to engage him in, in conversation, like, say things like the weather, like, hey, this is a gorgeous day, isn't it? Nothing. I have no idea what I did. Because, I mean, last I saw him, he had given me a smile and a handshake. Since then, he won't even look me in the eye. I, 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 have to, I can only postulate what happened, that he did not like what I preached. Jesus knew that these disciples would come into town they would seek to bless, they were going to seek to heal, they were going to do all these things, but there would be people who would not like what they were preaching. And yet, even though they were going to be rejected, they still were supposed to come and bless. But now, you might be saying, but, but time out, Aaron, they, there was one thing, <laughs> this doesn't sound like a blessing, they were supposed to like shake off the dust from their feet. What, what does that mean? And in fact, Jake and I were meeting this past week, and, and I hadn't dove into this much, and, and say, Jake's like, 
what does this mean? Well, Jake, I learned this week. Turns out that when a Jew was leaving a Gentile region and coming back into a Jewish territory, they would shake out the dust. They'd take their cloak and shake it out to shake all the dust off that they could and then tap their sandals to shake the dust off of those because they didn't want to bring any unclean dirt from the Gentile region back into the pure Jewish region. So now I want you to imagine that a couple of Jewish guys have come into your Jewish community They've told you about this Jewish Messiah, how this Jewish kingdom of God is now here. They've done all these things to bless you and your Jewish community. And yet, your Jewish community has looked at them and said, no. We don't accept it. We don't like this. Leave. And so these two Jewish guys walk out to the edge of the community. They stand there in front of everyone who's watching them leave. And all of a sudden, they tap off the dust on their sandals. Everyone knows what that means. You see, they were just mirroring back to the community the rejection that they were giving to Jesus. It was not the disciples looking at them going, well, to hell with you. It was them saying, guys, reconsider. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Otherwise, we're taking the dust off our feet, rejecting you, because you've rejected Jesus. It was them saying, reconsider. He's here. The Messiah has come. He's good. He loves you. Repent. And believe the gospel. And so, they were rejected. The uh, seventh detail that I want to point out is that the disciples were sent to obey. They were sent to obey. And this detail is actually, I feel, a two-sided coin. On one side is the instructions that Jesus gives to the disciples that they had to obey. They, they were supposed to go to certain communities. They were supposed to go in and preach a certain message. They were supposed to go in and do certain actions. And so they were supposed to obey. But I think there's another side to this coin. Because the message that they came in to preach was calling the people to obey. Remember, this is about the kingdom of God. And so you're supposed to come into the king. And as we just heard from Bridget in our Kids Creek lesson, Jesus is the door into that kingdom. So if you're going to come in, you come through him, but that means you have to repent of your sin, and, and you, you come in through him. So they're basically calling people to obey. That was the heart of their message, which then gets to our eighth and final question. I mean, sorry, detail. And that is that they were uh, sent to share the gospel. You, you see, ultimately, these disciples weren't sent just to heal, although I'm sure the people that were healed were very, very grateful. The disciples were not sent just to cast out some demons, even though I'm sure the families of, of those freed were very, very happy. The disciples were ultimately sent to preach a message. They were there to share the gospel. And the miracles were there to help verify that this story is true, that God really had come to earth, Jesus really was there, and that is why they could believe it. Because as they preached this message, and they saw people healed, they saw lives changed, they knew it's true. The gospel is true and real. The reason I point that out is because this is not just a task delegated to some disciples in Mark chapter 6. This is a task that's actually been delegated to anyone who says, I follow Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is getting ready to uh, ascend to heaven, he gives one last command and it's going to sound very similar to what we've heard in Mark 6. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you may be looking at that and saying, oh, yeah, but that's Jesus standing on a hilltop with his disciples. That's his command to them. But, but look at the command. The command to them was to go, therefore, and make disciples. So the disciples of Jesus are standing there, and Jesus says, all right, I want you to go make more disciples of Jesus. Well, what are those disciples supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to, you know, be baptized. They're supposed to, um, you know, uh, observe all that I have commanded. Well, what has Jesus just commanded? To go and make disciples. You see, the Jesus, the, I mean, the mission that Jesus gave in Mark 6, that wasn't just a trial run for these guys. It's the call for all of Jesus' disciples. And if you claim to be a Jesus follower, then Jesus has delegated this task to you. But I realize you may be sitting there feeling like, I, yeah, but I don't have the resources. Like, I, I don't have the seminary training. I, I don't have the way with words. I, I don't have enough, you know, money to, to do certain things. I, I don't have everything that it takes to accomplish this. And I think Jesus looks at you and says, no, actually, I've given you everything you need. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, then the moment you put your faith into Jesus, God sent his Holy Spirit to you. And, and Paul tells us in Romans that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. You have everything you need. Jesus told his disciples right there in Matthew 28, I am with you always to the end of the age. So guess what? If you follow Jesus, he is with you right now to the end of your age. You have everything you need. So you can't make any excuses. You can't claim, I, 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 I can't do this. I, I, this isn't my mission. No, this mission is given to you. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to go. And he's given you everything you need. But I want you to realize something. This isn't just something given to you individually. This is also a mission given to us corporately. And this week, I've actually been encouraged by this passage because we find ourselves as a church corporately at a place where we feel like we don't have enough resources. Um, most all of you know, because you saw the video, we are renovating a, a building. Uh, over a year ago, we uh, had a realtor approach us and said, hey, there's a building I think you guys might be uh, interested in. So our elder team and our Sunday team went and looked at it. It wasn't the right thing for us. So then we received an email, and that email says, hey, we think you might want this building. We went and looked at it, and, and it was too small. It was about the, the size here of, of Drosty Hall. It just, it wasn't the right thing for us. So we said no to that as well. But then another building popped up. We went and looked at it and realized, you know, their asking price is actually very fair for Waverly. And if we look at our finances, we think we might be able to afford to buy it, but we don't think we have the finances to then remodel it. We think it would just put too much financial burden upon our church family. And our mission is too important for us to just pour all of it into a building. So we actually said no. Well, another group swept in, bought the building, and we thought, that's fine. God will lead us. Well, that group that bought the building actually then approached us and said, we heard you're interested in our building. Would you be interested in a lease? And at first we thought, uh, no, because we really think the next step is for us to kind of own a building. But we really liked the building. 
So we thought, you know what, if, if this is the building for us and we're going to enter into lease, we, we need certain things. So we basically said, all right, here's some of the things we need in place. And we kind of thought they'd go, nah, we, we can't do that. And instead, they looked at all of our, our, our uh, wants, uh, what we asked for, and they, also, they said, yeah, we, we can do all of that. Absolutely shocked us. So we brought it to our Riverwood partners. I still remember the meeting right here, except there were curtains up here. And we're right here, and we, we're explaining to our Riverwood partners, here's what we feel God calling us to do, but we need you to help us decide. Because this is going to be a financial commitment. It means all of us giving a one-time gift to help uh, pay for this remodel, and it means us each giving $15 more per week to help pay for the increased cost of this lease. And unanimously, our partner said yes. And then a month later, a pandemic hit. Had no idea that God would lead us to this place. And then suddenly we couldn't meet. Then, once we could start meeting, had no idea that God was actually, that, I mean, not the God, but that the markets would do what they did. That prices of things would just escalate. And suddenly, where we thought we could do everything, it's, it's going to cost us so much more to complete this building. In fact, we're at a place where we're having to say no to a lot of things. Right? We really had dreams of having some decent chairs. Well, guess what? These are going to be our chairs in the new building to start. Our design team worked really, really hard to, to make the place look good. We have some things we want to do on the walls. We're having to say no to a lot of those things. We, we want to have certain things in the worship space to make this as good of an experience as possible. And we're having to say, wait, on a lot of these things. And so I have found myself a little frustrated lately. Like, God, why did you work things out like this? Why aren't you providing the resources we need? Because we believe you're sending us into this community. Because there's a world out there that needs to know this gospel. It is life-changing. Why aren't you resourcing us? And suddenly I read this passage, and I sense God saying, trust me, because you have everything you need. You guys, we have the gospel. We could do this in a barn. We could do this in a bar. We could do this outside. We could do it on the floor. We can do it with TVs, with our lyrics. We can do it with nothing. God will provide. Our mission continues. And we are to do it together. You guys, there are churches right now that are being ripped apart because of a six by six piece of cloth. There are people leaving churches over the whole mask issue. It's not about the mission. It's about a mask. This mission is far more important. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. And we refuse to gather with people because they won't wear masks or because they make us wear masks. This is far more important. Now, I'm not trying to chastise you because so far that debate hasn't come in here trying to wreck Riverwood, but it could. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God's saying, I have a task for you, and I've given you everything you need. You have my spirit, you have my presence, you have my message. So let us get our eyes off of my personal wants, my personal things. Let us put our attention on Jesus and what he wants to accomplish because I'm telling you what, as much as the things that I would love to see in our new building has frustrated me, if I see someone changed by the gospel, it will have all been worth it. And I invite you to join me on that. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to put our eyes and our focus solely upon Jesus. That he would be uh, what we treasure. He would be the one that stirs our affections. That we would be willing to, to set certain things aside. Our certain preferences, our, our wants, our way. And God, the, the days that we feel like we don't have enough, help us to realize you are enough. That, that when we think like the world is against us and rejecting us, you have accepted us. 
And, and so God, help just to reorient us. Give us a different perspective. Help us to have a different heart. Lord, I pray for anyone right now that, that's either joining us online or they're right here with us and they do not know you. They have not put their faith in you. Maybe they have a, a knowledge about you. Maybe they grew up in church or they've been around Christians, but now they realize that Jesus, your kingdom is here. You died on a cross for their sins. You are the doorway. You are the gate into this kingdom. And you're asking them today to repent and believe. So God, I pray right now that you would give them the courage to do that that they would repent of their sin, they would confess it before you, that they believe that you went to a cross, you died for their sin because you love them. Their sin kept them separated from you, but Jesus, because you paid the penalty for that sin, they could come into relationship with you. They can come through the gate, they can come to the Father, and they can be embraced. God, our world right now is tearing itself apart. We don't like being in a pandemic we don't like the, 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 the vitriolic response. We don't like the protests that are happening around. We don't like the violence. We don't like the, the natural calamities through hurricanes and, and such that are happening in our world. And so God, what we need is you. So I pray for anyone right now that's hurting, that they would turn to you. You would be their source of comfort. You would be their source of restoration. You would be their source of joy that you would then heal us so that we can go with this life-changing message. And as we bring this gospel, this gospel would bring healing to hearts, it'd bring healing to minds, it would bring healing to marriages, it'd bring healing to, to relationships, it'd bring healing to all sorts of areas of life. God, so many of us, we just want money, we just want comfort, we just want a job. And yet, Jesus, what I think you're saying is all we need is you. So God, help us right now to see that you are enough. You are everything we need. And let us find our joy and our peace in that as you then send us to bring that joy and peace to others. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.